Chapter 16 In which there is a great deal of witchcraft. Several hours passed. The dogman was hungry again. Michael and Sophie decided to have lunch too. Sophie approached Calcifer with a frying pan. Why can't you have bread and cheese for once? Calcifer grumbled. All the same, he bent his head. Sophie was just putting the pan on top of the curly green flames when Howell's voice rang out hoarsely from nowhere. Brace yourself, Calcifer. She's found me. Calcifer sprang upright. The frying pan fell across Sophie's knees. You'll have to wait, Calcifer roared, flaming blindly, blindingly up the chimney. Almost at once, he blurred into a dozen or so burning blue faces, as if he was being shaken violently about and burned with a loud, throaty whirring. That must mean they're fighting, Michael whispered. That wasn't really a whisper, sorry. Sophie sucked a slightly burned finger and picked up slices of bacon off of her skirt with the other hand, staring at Calcifer. He was whipping from side to side of from side to side of the fireplace, his blurred faces pulsing from deep blue to sky blue, and then almost to white. One moment he had multiple orange eyes and the next rows of starry silver ones. She had never imagined anything like it. Do Something you know where you are? <laughs> oh, do you know, <laughs> yeah, do you know where you are? Just figured that was a good place. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just going to keep reading, but yeah. Yeah, I know, point. I know. You are in an endless epic. And here there be dragons. Fire demons. Fire demons. Which could also be dragons. I mean, which it could be a yeah. It yeah. could be dragons would, and fire demons. I would consider dragons a form of fire demon. <sighs> in a way, you know. Huh. Big yawn. Yeah, I mean, in the strictest sense, they technically are. Right. You know. Yeah, like I, I would, I would seems argue. Like, seems like the thing to say. Yeah, I mean, because when we when we refer to them in a in a historical context. They're, they're more just, you know, big beasties. But when we refer to them in the historical context of, of how they're depicted, they're definitely more demon-like. Yeah. Ravenous, fire-breathing terrors. Uh, I, imagine, I imagine that the, the fire-breathing trope of dragons uh, developed at some point. Because, like, imagine, imagine, like, big old crocodiles or whatnot being the basis yeah. for... Uh, for dragons, right? Let's assume that that's what the basis for a dragon was. Probably. Like, the third or fourth guy to slay a giant crocodile and, and bring it back, right? Like, let's say these are like seven, eight feet long crocodiles, right? Probably bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll say they're like 15 feet long. 15, yeah. 20 feet long, right? And they're like, they're like, like, ah, like the third or fourth guy to bring one back. I, I'd imagine somebody was like, oh, another dragon? Like, oh, ooh, wow, great, another <laughs> dragon? And that guy was like, yes, but this one breathes fire. <laughs> uh, all 
mythological and just crazy creatures that have ever existed are just a guy going, <clears throat> yeah, I know that one was scary, but this one. <laughs> it's, this all the one same, had, it's, it's all the same <laughs> guy, too. 12 tentacles. <laughs> like, a guy who's really bad, like, he, he, sells, he sells Mustangs, right? Like, he sells wild horses. Um, and right. uh, not, he's not a car dealer. He sells... Like well, that's, yes, that is where my first. Yeah, I, I figured. I like, also, you do realize you're not you're not centered in your camera. I do realize that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just wanted but to make I sure. I moved my computer, so that it is what it is. <laughs> okay. All right. Just wanted to make sure. Uh, and this guy's. I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm utilizing the rule of thirds. Got you. Got you. All right. Um. Yeah, well, and then I just I just imagine that like that guy one day like everybody's like, no, oh, Tom the bad horse catcher is coming back at being bad from catching horses. The and bad th horse catcher. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just goes, he just goes, Tom just goes, the bad horse. He's like, catcher. you don't understand. Today, it had it had a horn out of its head, and I'm certain it was casting magics at me. And had a friend with her wings. <laughs> it flew away. Uh, this this horse was winged. It, 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 it cast off into the sky as I chased it. <laughs> sure, uh, Tom. Yeah, sure, Tom. The terrible horse catcher now is what we're Tom, the terrible horse catcher, the absolute worst horse catcher. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Charlie's not all so great. <laughs> Yeah, but Charlie also catches parakeets, and that he's pretty good at. <laughs> I love this mythical land that we made up where there's just these two guys who are terrible at catching things. It's exactly, it's, no, it's two guys who are terrible at catching things, and one guy, one guy who wants people to believe his crocodile-breathed fire. Oh, God. I should uh, probably read the book. Yeah, yeah, no, of course, of course. <clears throat> Something swept overhead with a blast and a boom, which shook everything in the room. Yeah, that was some good rhyming. Yeah, that was a little bit of rhyming. Yeah, she's got a rap nice. going on here. A second something followed with a long, shrill roar. Calcifer pulsed nearly blue-black, and Sophie's skin fizzed with a backblast from the magic. Michael scrambled for the window. They're, They're quite near. Yeah, that. Um, Sophie hobbled to the window, too. The storm of magic seemed to have affected half of the things in the room. The skull was yattering its jaw so hard that it was traveling around in circles. Packets were jumping. Powder was seething in jars. A book dropped heavily out of the shelves and lay open on the floor, fanning its pages back and forth. At one end of the room, scented steam boiled out of the bathroom. At the other, Hal's guitar made out of tune twangings, and Calcifer whipped about harder than ever. Michael put the skull in the sink to stop it from yattering itself onto the floor, while he opened the window and craned out. Whatever was happening was maddening, just out of maddeningly, uh, just out of sight. People in the houses opposite were at doors and windows, pointing to something more or less overhead. Sophie and Michael ran to the broom cupboard, where they seized a velvet cloak each and flung them on. 
Sophie got the one that turned the wearer into a red-bearded man. Now she knew why Calcifer had laughed at her in the other one. Michael was a horse. <laughs> but there was no time to laugh just then. Sophie dragged the door open and sped into the street, followed by the dogman, who seemed surprisingly calm about the whole thing. Michael trotted after her with the clatter of non-existent hooves, leaving Calcifer whipping from blue to white behind them. The street was full of people looking upwards. No one had time to notice things like horses coming out of houses. <laughs> Sophie and Michael looked to and found a huge cloud of boiling and twisting just above the chimney tops. It was black and rotating on itself violently. White flashes that were not quite like light stabbed through the murk of it. But almost as soon as Michael and Sophie arrived, the clot of magic took on the shape of a misty bundle of fighting snakes. Then it tore in two with a noise like an enormous catfight. One part sped yowling across the roofs and out to sea and the second went screaming after it. Some people retreated indoors then. Sophie and Michael joined the rush of braver people down the sloping lanes to the dockside. There everyone seemed to think the best view was to be had along the curve of the harbour wall. Sophie hobbled to get along it too, but there was no need to go beyond the shelter of the harbour master's hut. Two clouds were hanging in the air, some way out to sea, on the other side of the harbour wall. The only two clouds in the calm blue sky. It was quite easy to see them. It was equally easy to see the dark patch of storm raging on the sea between the clouds, flinging up great white-topped waves. There was, an enorm there was an unfortunate ship caught in that storm. Its masts were beating back and forth. There co they could see spouts of water hitting it on all sides. The crew were desperately trying to take in the sails, but at least one had torn to flying grey rags. Can't they have a care for the ship? Someone said indignantly. The wind, then the wind and the waves from the storm hit the harbour wall. White water lashed over the braver persons out on the wall, uh, came crowding hurriedly back to the quayside, where the moored ships were heaving and grinding at their moorings. Among all this was a great deal of screaming and high singing voices. Sophie put her face out into the wind beyond the hut, where the screaming came from, and discovered that the raging magic had disturbed more than the sea and the wretched ship. A number of wet, slithery-looking ladies with flying green-brown hair were dragging themselves onto the harbour wall, screaming and holding long, wet arms out to more screaming ladies tossing in the waves. Every one of them had a fishtail instead of legs. Confound it, said the Sophie. Mermaids. Sorry, said Sophie. <laughs> The mermaids from the curse. You know what? Before we go on, it makes me very sad that this never made it into the movie. Well, it did. 
kind of just in a, in a different way. It, it was far less exciting. Right. This in in the film, this scene was replaced by the the enemy ship dropping the the bombs in the harbor. Right. Right. Yeah, well and it's so much faster and it's so much less exciting. Right. Well, like, and this, this is, is this clearly would have been way more exciting and spectacular than yeah. than what we got from the film. But also imagine how this would have been to animate. Oh, it would have been probably hell, but you know, that's not my concern. <laughs> right. I'm not animating it. I just want to watch it. <laughs> All right, we can continue. Sorry. That meant only two more impossible things to come true now. She looked up at the two clouds. Howl was kneeling on the left-hand one, much larger and nearer than she would have expected. He was still dressed in black. Typically enough, he was staring over his shoulder at the frantic mermaids. He was not looking at them as if he remembered they were a part of the curse at all. Keep your mind on the witch. The horse beside Sophie yelled. The witch sprang into being, standing on the right-hand cloud, in a whirl of flame-colored robe and streaming red hair, with her arms raised to invoke further magic. As Howl turned and looked at her, her arms came down. Howl's cloud erupted into a fountain of rose-colored flame. Heat from it swept across the harbor, and the stones of the wall steamed. It's all right, gasped the horse. Howl was on the tossing, nearly sinking ship below. He was a tiny black figure now, leaning against the bucking main mast. He let the witch know she had missed by waving at her cheekily. The witch saw him the instant he waved. Cloud, which all at once became a savage swooping red bird, diving at the ship. The ship vanished. The mermaids sang a doleful scream. There was nothing but sulkily tossed water where the ship had been, but the diving bird was going too fast to stop and plunged into the sea with a huge splash. Everyone on the quayside cheered. I know huh. that wasn't... <clears throat> I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. My bad. I Dear was... God, man. Come on. <laughs> I knew that wasn't a real ship, really. Someone behind Sophie said... Yes, it must have been an illusion. The horse... Oh, that's actually Michael. Yeah, the horse but said wisely. It was too small. As proof that the ship had been much nearer than it looked, the waves from the splash reached the harbor wall before Michael had stopped speaking. A 20-foot green hill of water rode smoothly sideways across it, sweeping the screaming mermaids into the harbor rolling every moored ship violently sideways and thudding in swirls round the harbour master's hut. An arm came out of the side of the horse and hauled Sophie back toward the quay. Sophie gasped and stumbled in knee-high grey water. The dogman bounded beside them, soaked to the ears. 
They had just reached the quay and the boats in the harbour had all just rolled upright when the second mountain of water rolled over the harbour wall. Out of its smooth side burst a monster. It was a long black clawed thing, half cat, half sea lion, and it came racing down the wall toward the quay. Another burst out of the wave as it smashed into the harbour, long and low too, but scalier, and came racing after the first monster. Everyone realised that the fight was not over yet, and splashed backward hurriedly against the sheds and houses on the quayside. Sophie fell over a rope and then a doorstep. The arm came out of the horse and dragged her upright as the two monsters streaked past in a scatter of salt water. Another wave swirled over the harbour wall and two more monsters burst out of that. They were identical to the first two except the scaly one was closer to the cat-like one, and the next rolling wave brought two more, closer together yet. What's going on? Sophie squawked as the third pair raced past, shaking the stones of the jetty as they ran. Illusions. Michael's voice said out of the horse. Some of them. They're both trying to fool one another, chasing the wrong one. Which is who? said Sophie. No idea, said the horse. Some of the onlookers found the monsters too terrifying and went home. Others jumped down into the rolling ships to fend them off from the quay. Sophie and Michael joined the hardcore of the watchers who set off through the streets of Port Haven after the sea monsters. First they followed a river of seawater, then huge wet paw prints, and finally white gouges and scratches where the claws of the creatures had dug into the stone of the street. These led everyone out at the back of the town to the marshes where Sophie and Michael had chased the shooting star. By this time, all six creatures were bounding black dots vanishing into the flat distance. The crowd spread out into a ragged, a ragged line on the bank, staring, hoping for more, and afraid of what they might see. After a while, no one could see anything but empty marsh. Nothing happened. Quite a few people were turning away to leave when... Of course, everyone else shouted, Look! A ball of pale fire rolled lazily up in the distance. It must have been enormous. The bang that went with it only reached the waters when the fireball had become a spreading tower of smoke. The line of people all winced at the blunt thunder of it. They watched, that, they watched the smoke until it became part of the mist on the marshes. They went on watching after that, but there was simply peace and silence. The wind rattled the marsh weeds and the birds began to dare to cry again. Oh, that's me. Mm -hmm. I reckon they must have done that done for one I reckon they must have done for one another it's a weird sentence uh yeah it is people said 
The crowd gradually split into separate figures hurrying away to jobs they had left half done. Sophie and Michael waited until the very last when it was clear that it was indeed all over and they turned slowly back into Port Haven. Neither of them felt like speaking. Only the dogman seemed happy. He sauntered beside them so friskily that Sophie was sure he thought Howell was done for. He was so pleased with life that he turned into the street where Howell's house was and there happened to be a stray cat crossing the road. The dogman uttered a joyful bark and galloped after it. He chased it with a dash and a skitter straight to the castle doorstep, where it turned and glared. You're off. It mewed. This is all I needed. The dog backed away, looking ashamed. Michael clattered up to the door. How? He shouted. The cat shrank to kitten size and looked very sorry for itself. And you both look ridiculous, it said. Open the door, I'm exhausted. Sophie opened the door and the cat crawled inside. The cat crawled to the hearth where Calcifer was down to the merest blue flicker and with an effort got its front paws up onto the chair seat. There it grew rather slowly into Howl, bent double. Did you kill the witch? Michael asked eagerly, taking off his cloak and becoming himself too. No, said Howl. He turned round and flopped into the chair where he lay looking very tired indeed. All that on... Oh, sorry. <clears throat> <clears throat> throat> the quotes. Jeez. All that on top of a cold, he croaked. Sophie, for pity's sake, take off that horrible red bearded beard and find the bottle of brandy in the closet. Unless you've drunk it and turned it into turpentine. Turpentine? Of turpentine, course. yeah. Sophie took off her cloak and found the brandy in a glass. Howell drank one glass off as if it were water. Then he poured out a second glass. Instead of drinking it, he dripped it carefully on Calcifer. Calcifer flared and sizzled and seemed to revive a little. Hal poured a third glass and lay back sipping it. Don't stand and stare at me, he said. I don't know who won. The witch is mighty hard to come at. She relies mostly on her fire demon and stays behind out of trouble. I think we gave her something to think about, eh, Calcifer? It's old, Calcifer said in a weak fizzle from under his long, under his logs. I'm stronger, but it knows things I never thought of. She's had it a hundred years, and it's half killed me. He fizzled a bit, then climbed further out of his logs to grumble. You might have warned me. I did, you old fraud, Howell said wearily. You know everything I know. 
Howell lay sipping brandy while Michael found bread and sausage for them to eat. Food revived them all, except perhaps the dogman, who seemed subdued now Howell was back after all. Calcifer began to burn up and look his usual blue self. This won't do, Howell said. He hauled himself to his feet. Look sharp, Michael. The witch knows we're in Port Haven. We're not only going to have to move the castle and the Kingsbury entrance now, I shall have to transfer Calcifer to the house that goes with that hat shop. Move me? Calcifer cackled. He was azure with apprehension. Those are some good words. Mm-hmm. I like those. Sometimes, sometimes she writes sentences that make no sense at all. Right. And then other times, it's just magnificently simplistic and, and profound sem- sentences like, he was azure, azure with apprehension. apprehension. That's just good. <laughs> That's right, said Howell. You have a choice between Mark Chipping or the witch. You don't go and be difficult. Don't go and be difficult. Curses! Wailed Calcifer and dived into the bottom of the grate. That was an exciting And there chapter. ends chapter 16 of Howl's Moving Castle. Chapter. My God. Very exciting. Most exciting chapter I think we've had so far. Oh no. The Thousand Leagues chapter was pretty exciting. Or 30 Leagues? I don't know. What was that chapter called? In which Sophie it, it, travels. Th- it's the one where Sophie leaves the castle in many directions at once. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 That was pretty exciting. It was different, different, different kind of exciting. Well, I mean, this one had a giant bird trying to, uh, you know, kill Howl on a tiny um, illusion boat, which then <laughs> turned into a cat illusion sea lion. <laughs> Gotta love those illusion boats. Which then turned into a cat and a sea lion chasing each other through the streets of Port Haven. Right, yeah, that's true. Well, alright. I'm just saying. They were both exciting. <laughs> Very much so. I was just saying that comparatively... This one feels like it's it's on the more um, exciting side. Anything stand out for you in this chapter? Uh, primarily, the fact that this parallels to the scene in the film where uh, Michael and Sophie are out shopping. So we do right. we do get we do get this scene where Michael and Sophie go out shopping uh, earlier in. The book as well. They go out and they pick up ingredients. Right. But they hybrid that scene to this scene. um, And basically just changed it to instead of uh, Howl and the witch fighting. It's the rival nations bombers bombing a ship in the harbor. Yeah. Yeah. So for anybody who's who's watched the film, who's reading along with us um, or who plans to watch the film. This, this will give you an idea for where this takes place in the film when you're talking about the, the chronology of the book within the film's universe. Yeah. Yeah, they do they do that kind of weird thing where they jump around the book's events and kind of like... 
weirdly well, um, placed them in the movie. And what what else it is works, fascinating? Oddly, but it's it's just it's bizarre that they that they do that. What else is fascinating that is described here that is not explained well in the film is why Sophie had to take Calcifer out of the castle to protect Howl in the film. Right. So basically if you guys haven't caught on yet or if it, you know if there's too much time in between episodes and and it's it's not fresh in your brain is a calcifer has to physically exist at one of the locations for all of the locations to exist correct um and when we first see the film the um the the entrance is in port haven which is yes. in Calcifer, which is in Howell's uh, childhood home, in this this is is in Port Haven, so the Port Haven yep. house. Um, and then, of course, there's the entrance in Kingsbury, and then there is the entrance that's at the castle out in the wastes. And the other entrance that in the movie we don't actually ever technically figure out where it goes. But it's right. the one that goes to um, Wales. To Wales, in, yeah, yeah, in the book. Uh, they just kind of yes. cut that out of the story in the movie. Like Wales well, and his family doesn't. It would exist, be. Which is, it makes sense because it would be really weird and hard. To not explain. not just weird. It would be really it, yeah. It'd be really difficult for them to work in. Yeah, because it, it, even though it is incredibly interesting in the book, it's not elegantly integrated. No, definitely not. And, well, I don't know if we ever actually, even in the, like, following books, we ever actually deep dive further into, like, what hap like what's happening there. Like, No, like I think it's one of those Howl... things that's just, a, that's just a given, right? Yeah, like, just, just it is what it is. Just accept it. Yeah, like, it's like one of the things in Harry Potter that's never really explained is... Is how how are the wizarding world and the Muggle world separated, right. or or like, do they have? Is it just hidden? Are they separate physical locations? Like this is stuff that's never really explained. Like there's a couple of half-assed explanations in a couple of the books, and then uh, the cursed child attempts to explain it really terribly, and then uh, the new the new films with um, Fantastic, Fantastic Beasts. Beasts. Yeah. Attempts to also explain it, but also does a terrible job. Yeah. So there's well, no yeah, there's it's... no real good explanation for like how these worlds are separated. And honestly, a lot of times that's better. Yeah, I I agree. I, well, to to me, I think it like they're just different places because you the and why I say that is because of the very like the existence of platform nine and three quarters implies that you're going to a different place because they, they, that could not exist in the same plane. Like it just like where, well, like, okay. But even, what, if, what if, what if, what if the, it, it does exist within the same plane and the, like, cause why, why, it, why is the train station, at a train station, right? Like, if, if you really wanted to keep people from from seeing 
like magical people traveling, why put your magical train station in a train station? To be cute? I don't know. <laughs> well, and that's exactly why she did it in the book. Like, the, yeah. the real explanation for why the train station is at a train station is because Rowling wanted to wanted the cute scenes at the train station. Right, because why like, not? Yeah, <laughs> that's why. exactly. So, but but how how are we how are we not to to know that like that's just a natural part of the train station that was then later hidden by magic? But where is it? Somewhere in the train station. <laughs> <laughs> but like. Where is it? That's the, that's like, where would it be? Because like, See, I get that they can move no, no, and uh, stretch things and because you, right, right, you have the right, part right. where like the building comes out of the other building. But like, well, yeah, but that's just, that's just how they, it? that's just how they're, 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 they're showing it. The implication is that these things exist like sort of like just out of our periphery, right? right. Like muggles can't see them. And it's not—it's not till the later books that it starts getting to be like fantastic, right? Right. Like it's not till the Order of the Phoenix that we get this idea that like, oh, it's—it's it's all it's all like super fantastical. So my my thought is, it's like you know how you'll like you'll lose your wallet or your keys and you'll walk past it a thousand times and not see it. Yeah. Yeah, like, like that's in my mind. That's how it works. It's that simple. Like the magic just does that. That I I can't find it sort of thing to your brain automatically. So I I can get that with certain things, but then you you have stuff like the flying car, and there are reports of at least seven people seeing it. And I get like I love that you remember that because I would not have remembered <laughs> that. <laughs> well, that it's yeah. Well, <laughs> It's it's just weird that like it it doesn't just like it because like everything has an explanation as to like where it's at because like with the car they didn't turn on the cloaking device so people saw it okay I accept that that's cool the the order of the phoenix like hideout they you know it's hidden inside another building weird they don't fully explain it but okay all right that's fine the train station <laughs> like what where is it <laughs> like that's what, like I, there, some things have like decent well and and some some writers uh, and and it, I, I will fight anyone who says otherwise harry potter is an isekai okay <laughs> i mean i just yeah okay i I'm so, not gonna fight you. Is isekai, well, I, I, is, yeah. isekai is an anime genre where they take a person from one world and they put them into another world. Right, right. Harry yeah, Potter no, is an isekai. That's yeah, I, I support that. I'm with that. Uh, but no, that, that's that's my point though. Is just like I think the Wizarding World is somewhere else. Like I right, I, but my 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 point my point is is that some writers are just really bad at expressing that. Yeah. Like the, I think the only book I've ever seen do this elegantly is the Dragon and the George, from the Dragonite series. Right. Because I haven't uh, actually read those series, but I, I know what you're talking about. 
so in the so the the two main characters are actually uh uh molecular physicists so they right. they they he him and his wife are both like engineering scientists right, right. um and what ends up happening is she is dealing with the she's she's essentially working with a um a i don't want to say program but she's working in a program that allows okay. one to transfer their consciousness um into into like a a multiversal plane right like okay. they've discovered that there are that there are worlds that exist in layers on top of our own world so it, a typical typical multiverse theory yeah. right like there's there's planar there's planes of existence that stretch out into infinity i would love to be alive if that ever gets discovered <laughs> you might be in a different world right like <laughs> now what what ends up happening is they're trying to basically just look into these other worlds and what ends up happening is that they accidentally overpower the machine. Right. And rather than just peering into the world, she gets sent into the world. That's so cool. I love that. That's eerily like, um, uh, obviously totally different concepts, but uh, the Winds of Altair. Yeah, yeah. But but continue. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So then, uh, like, she doesn't come home. So her husband, who is also like a like a physicist... Right. Um, comes looking for her, and when he he like when he comes to her lab, like her her boss, who is also her lab partner, like tries to like sneak his way out of like he's like I don't know what happened, like <laughs> I don't know where she is, and then he like Just he like disappeared, right? So he gets pissed off at him, and finally he explains it. So they work together to to fix it. So that he also doesn't get transported into the world, but just, like, so that he can find her. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, they, again, like, they don't fully understand how the machine did what it did. So, uh, they turn down the power that is being used to peer into the other world. Um, and rather than sending his whole body, it just sends his soul... And his soul ends up inside of a dragon. That's so great. I love that. <laughs> right. Like, it, I, I, the Dragon Knight series is highly underappreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's such a great series. There's, there's, there's seven books in the series, and of the seven books, there's only one bad one. Yeah. That's and, rare. yeah. I mean, and, and, the, and the whole book itself isn't bad. The ending is bad. Because it, it's, well. it's, it's the dragon and the jinn. And like he does a really good job of writing the story. The story's really good. All, everything all the way up to the end is really great. Yeah. And then they beat the jinn with the power of friendship. And it like it just it bothered me so bad, dude. Like I was so endings, angry about endings it. Endings are hard. Endings are hard. But he has so many good endings that that ending was not justified. Like literally the ending of that book is that all of the main characters grab hands and encircle the jinn and the power of their companionship entraps him and takes away his power. 
literally I mean, winning with the power of friendship. I mean, obviously. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. No, it was, it was super, it was super irritating because the rest of the series had been so good up to that point. <laughs> that, that, that is kind of disappointing. That when, when he did that, I was like, come on, man. Like, you're better than this. You're, you're better than this. You don't. I mean, but Gordon R. Gordon R. Dixon hasn't written books in years. So, like, I read them yeah. probably 15 years after the first, after the last novel was published. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the so the, that is a really good explanation for like how they end up in the world, and then the the main mage of that world ends up helping the the male character. Um, and that's the other thing is that the the man and the woman are sort of like co-main characters of the series so it's a really yeah it's a really neat balance um and the main mage ends up helping um the uh, the the main male character not get his body back but re-establish his body so essentially because he's been transported into the world into a dragon's body he's permanently a dragon but he teaches him how to use magic to transition back and forth between his human body and his dragon form. <laughs> so he's a shapeshifter. Yeah, yeah, more or less. It's pretty dope. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's kind of cool. Like the yeah. the whole the whole like magic system and everything for those are, is really nice. Uh, which you have you've uh, Brandon Brandon Sanderson or whatever who is. Uh, people say that he's like the king of fiction. I haven't read a whole lot of his stuff, but he's a pretty good writer. At least from what I've read. Yeah. Um, and he's sort I've of like established read. all of these rules for like what good magic systems are. And this one where area where like, because I've read some of the stuff that he's written about it. And where I disagree is that he says you either have a hard magic system or a soft magic system. And hard magic systems are where the rules are very clearly defined. We know everything about the magic. Like we, like it's a very predictable system, yeah. which would be like Harry Potter, kind of. Right, kind of. Um, more, more like uh, I would actually say more like Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah, that's a good example. Uh, but then, but then you have like Lord of the Rings, which is a soft magic system, which has. Uh, no clearly defined rules and we don't really understand anything about how it works. Right. Um, whereas in the Dragon Knight series, it's nothing like that. It's not like either of those. Like, there are specific spells and when when he enters into the world, like, there's a certain, like, understanding of how spell work works, but then we come to realize in that magic system that uh, there's there's a very limited pool of magic in the world, and it's sort of uh, it's sort of concessioned out like currency amongst mages. Right. Oh, that's kind of interesting. And and it's that's, it's that's a cool. That's a different take. I like right. That. And it's and it's limited, and it can run out. Yeah. That's super so interesting. Yeah. So mages are limited to how much magic they are allowed based off of whatever their ranking is. Yeah. But then he finds out later on, I think it's in the second book, which is the the Dragon Knight, um, which is the second book in the series. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
he finds out that if he if new magic is discovered, then it adds a good chunk of magic to the pool that exists. That's so interesting. That's a that's a really f- like fun way to, to like think about that. Right. Like I, I like that a lot. So he ends up he ends up inadvertently adding a bunch of magic to the pool of magic. Yeah. Because you know he's from another world, so he ends up like imagining these different things. Um, and it's interesting, like him and his him and his wife end up like beating up a lord who's like a really tyrannical lord in this yeah. world and because of that they end up inheriting his lands his title and his castle that's funny uh, and then they just go and they engineer the hell out of his castle like they reroute all the fireplaces so that uh they vent through the floors so they have heated floors in the castle <laughs> and shit like it's really cool like the way that he the way that he wrote it is very like very slice of lifey yeah but at the same time, like, there's a lot of really epic stuff that goes on in the books. So if you've never read The Dragon and the George or or anything in the Dragon Knight series by Gordon R. Dixon, I strongly recommend it. Um, Isaac Asimov, Ben Bova, and Gordon R. Dixon are highly underrated yeah. authors in the modern era. Like, most people probably know who Isaac Asimov is because you've definitely seen his work. AI, iRobot, um... Basically, all of the robot films that were made in the last 20 years were interpolations of his books. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, like, I told somebody that iRobot was a book, and they were like, what, I never heard of it? When did it come out? I'm like, I don't know, the fucking 40s? I mean, frickin' 40s? <laughs> yeah. yeah, rock podcast. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it, was, it was like, it was, it was way, way uh, long time. Actually, no, I think it was the 60s. I think was, Isaac Asimov was, was publishing, still... was publishing books in the sixties. That's sixty years ago, like, admittedly. That was, but that was a cool minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, like Isaac Asimov wrote. Like whenever you hear the the laws of robotics, Isaac Asimov wrote that. Yeah, yeah. the the laws The laws of robotics that came from Isaac Asimov's writings. A lot of the the stuff that you see in the Matrix that came the Matrix that came from Isaac Asimov. Oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, like all of those principles in modern like sci-fi, a lot of them came from his writings. Yeah. I feel like that happens a lot. It's like you have somebody that like establishes something or does something in, in literature and then yeah. like they they get kind of recognized for it, but then like like you get more popular writers who like kind of adapt it and then it becomes normal. Like well, and then you have the gnome, the, like the you gnome. have uh, you have writers like Gordon R. Dixon who were publishing books around the time that Tolkien was publishing books. Yeah, um, like I think that Dixon published his last book in the '90s, and I think that uh, I think Tolkien published his last book in the '80s, if I remember right. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's probably something like that. Um, but yeah, they were publishing books around the same time, but Dixon didn't get nearly the notoriety that Tolkien and Lewis did because he was he was so far outside the niche of writing. Yeah. I feel so, like I feel like uh there'll be those like uh, at some point someone will run across those and will start getting like TV shows or series or or like movies or something 
based on those stories. Because that that, you, that oh, happens. dude, I didn't know I didn't know that Dixon was Canadian either. Wow. Now there's two Canadians that we like. <laughs> oh, he does have a movie. I didn't realize that he did. When did it come out? Uh, movies: The Flight of Dragons. Oh, it's a it's an animated film. Interesting. Came out in 1982. Huh? Huh? Oh, apparently, apparently, somebody in the in the background here has seen the movie. <laughs> How was it? She, she says she loves it. Oh, wow! We'll have to check it out. Maybe we'll do a. Yeah, I've, I didn't realize a, that. Uh, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I. Because I've been saying forever that Gordon R. Dixon stuff would make great movies. Um, maybe we'll do a community watch on that. I mean, that'd be that'd be that'd be fun. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Uh, let's see, because uh, I want to see. I want to see when his last book was published, published, or when he started publishing books. Uh, to do lightsaber, what? Uh, lightsaber Dixon what? described an advanced alien weapon called the Rod, which bears a striking resemblance to Star Wars lightsaber. Dixon's Wolfling was published in three parts in the magazine Analog, January 1869, uh, which contained the first parts and depicts an alien holding a rod in 1977 george lucas stated as a kid i read a lot of science fiction and was interested in harry harrison uh the march 1969 issue of analogs ends a harry harrison story so oh my god dude so whoa so lucas might have jacked the idea of the lightsaber from gordon r dixon are you kidding me that's pretty nice. You know, you and I have always said that Dixon and Bova were some of like the fathers like, of modern mythology. Hundred percent, and and science fiction. They, yeah. They, absolutely, they were. Like, there there are so many examples. Oh, okay. So 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 the Dragon Knight series isn't quite as old as as I thought it was, but uh, he began publishing them in 1976. Oh, okay. Um, and... Oh, dude! The Flight of Dragons is a is loosely based off of St. Dragon and the George, which is the first book in the Dragon Knight series. Oh, heck yeah. That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, we'll have to do a community watch on that. That sounds fun. Yeah. Jim. Jim Eckert is the main character of... Jim. Yeah. Oh, Jim. And his full name, his full name in the, in the, <laughs> I forgot about this. His name is, is super long. So he's Baron Sir James Eckert de Bois de Malencontret Riveroak. What does that even mean? <laughs> I don't remember. Like he gave himself some weird, lo I don't remember. It's been so long since I've read it, uh, since I've read it, since I've read since it. Since you've read it. Since I've read it. Uh, maybe we'll have to bring that one into the. Uh, oh man, I forgot the, about all. Oh, into the uh, oh, in this epic story time, dude. Circle, dude. Like that, I'm I'm like reading some of the character names and remembering them. Yeah. Uh. 
Uh, and his wife's name is Angie. <laughs> so the main funny. characters of this epic fantasy novel are Jim and Angie. Jim and Angie. <laughs> <laughs> they sound like scientists to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. That's that's really funny. And he yeah he started he started publishing he started publishing stories in science fiction magazine back in the spring of 1950. Damn, that's crazy. And him and Ben Bova wrote a lot of stories together. Oh, did they really? Yeah, Dixon cool. Dixon and and Bova wrote. Um, I think three or four books together uh, and several short stories. Yeah. Because Ben Bova was... Uh, it bothers me that I can type in almost his whole name and he doesn't. He still doesn't come up. Yeah. I mean, he... What? A long time ago, man. Yeah. You could probably, uh, you could probably bring these names up to people. Oh, I've, I have. And they don't... Oh, 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 no, oh no, no, no. Like people in their 60s and 70s, and they'd probably be able to, like, recall them because I'm sure oh, back then dude. they were more well known. What a bummer! Ben Bova died last year, a couple of days after your birthday. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> I didn't. How old was he? Uh, he was born in 1932. Oh, okay. So he was a little bit he was a little bit younger than he was about uh, nine years younger than Dixon. Yeah. Because Dixon was born in twenty three. That's crazy, man. Wow. Some old dudes right there. <laughs> wow, they didn't really start writing until they were what, in their thirties? Yeah. Almost. Well, it, they, they neither one of them graduated uh, university until the mid fifties. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, there were wars and yeah, there were a lot of happening. wars going on. So, <laughs> so that's, there were that's a couple not, of things going on. You know, there was a little bit happening back then, so not too surprising, I guess. Yeah, it wouldn't oh, have been dude. until the fifties that you they because they were probably both. No, 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 no. Dickens was probably Dickinson. Dickinson? Dickinson. Dickinson, yeah. Yeah, he was probably in World War II, but Bova probably wasn't. No, Bova would have only been. He, was he only, would have only. He was only a year old when uh, when when Old Hitty was elected chancellor. Old Hitty. <laughs> yeah. Old Adolfi. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh wow, that's interesting. Uh, Bova was the was the advisor and science writer for Repo Man with Jude Law. That's cool. Yeah, that's super cool. That's a weird oh movie. whoa whoa hang on hang on. Also in two thousand seven, he provided consulting services for Silver Pictures on the film adaptation of Richard K. Morgan's hard boiled cyberpunk universe. Altered Carbon. Oh. So he did the science writing uh, and consulting for Altered Carbon as well. Huh. That's really cool. Dang, I, dude. Uh, I, I haven't actually sat and watched that show all the way through. I need to. I hear really good things about it. 
on that note, we we should yeah, probably we end should probably end. This. Yeah, we're ben, pretty much just <laughs> this. This isn't this is really a podcast anymore. I know. I'm sorry. I like Ben, ben Bova reminiscing. Uh, hold on. Let Let's sign us off, and then we can keep talking. Let's okay. A quick little signing <laughs> off, and then we'll we'll keep talking about it. Uh, guys, uh, you can always follow my brother over here over on... Thank you guys f- uh, for list- bearing with us to this point, in any case. If, um, if you have. If you have. If you have. And uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us for another wonderful episode of Endless Epic. I uh, I hope you guys are enjoying uh, Howl's Moving Castle and all of the um, poppycock that comes after Howl's Moving Castle. Of course, you can follow my brother over on Instagram at Anshan, A-N-N-N-S-E-A-N, as well as over on Twitter and TikTok at The Real Thick Jesus, Extra Thick with the Two Qs, and Real Thick Jesus over on Twitter. And of course, you guys can follow me at Real Slim Jesus or The Real Slim Jesus on Twitter and Instagram and on TikTok, respectively, as well as The Black Dragon Tavern or Black Dragon Tavern, wherever videos are sold and thank you guys so much for subscribing big shout out to all of our patrons i appreciate the patience as uh, we've been dealing with um smithy being uh, sick i have been uh, deathly ill yes yes um and you actually got you got some some shout outs on twitter from people who were who were uh, I, I, I saw some of those yeah, who are who are saying they hope you feel better. So Ray and Marcus were were saying they hope you feel better. I think Irewolf was uh, expressing the the desire for you to be uh, uh, feeling the betters. Well, I am feeling the betters, and I'm back. I'm back, yeah. baby. And then of course everybody everybody over in the Discord was uh, saying that they hope you feel better, including Selena, who's constantly hoping you feel better. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, and I then do. that's uh, that is all we have for this evening, my friend. Big shout out to the patrons and to the subscribers of the podcast. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for keeping us pretty consistently at between eighty and one hundred and ten listens every week, which yeah, is amazing. We really appreciate it. It really. You guys is. are awesome. And uh, yeah, I see. And it, see, guys, it's not even it's not even that we're getting the number there. It's it's incredible to me that there are that many people who are enjoying the podcast. Yes, like because when you say the number, people people like just have the idea of the number, but the the number of people that are listening like, to the podcast yeah, like, is those are real live. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I love it. So thank you guys so much. We love and appreciate you all. And we hope that you will join us the next time we turn the page beyond the Phantom Toll Booth for Sophie and Howl. And remember, my friends, stay bloodthirsty and all hail the Black Dragons. We will see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye.